there's never a better time to start your journey than now because you have at your fingertips the ability to jump in with reading, but then really quickly get into experimenting and finding different communities for yourself where you can share resources. Hello, and welcome to The Crypto Brief, a podcast from the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology. Every week, we get together to discuss current events and trends in blockchain technology, tokenization, DeFi, NFTs, mining, and related aspects of the crypto ecosystem. I'm your co-host, Ryan Stubbe, Director of Bitcoin Mining, and I'm joined by Jason Ward, Head of the Blockchain Incubator, Parth Gargava, Product Architect with Fidelity Labs, and Jack Newrider, Research Analyst with Fidelity Digital Assets. Before we begin, just a friendly reminder that this discussion is for educational purposes only and should not be viewed as an investment advice or a recommendation for any security or asset. The views expressed are those of the co-hosts and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. As we all know, crypto as an asset class is highly volatile, can become a liquid at any time, and is only for those investors with high risk tolerance. Now let's dive into what's been happening recently. Welcome to this week's edition of the Crypto Brief. Uh, Jack and I are here with a special guest, Sterling Ingrey from Fidelity's Workplace Investment Team. And we wanted to talk to Sterling today to really learn a little bit more about her journey in the blockchain and crypto space, a little bit of what what she's doing to help promote education and understanding around digital asset space. Welcome. We're happy to have you with us. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jack. It's so nice to be here. I love your podcast with the team. So it's a nice honor to be able to join in the conversation with all of you. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. Yeah. And thank you for taking time out of the day. I know you're very busy. Um, you know, what I, what I find is crazy is people in the blockchain digital asset space are generally very giving with their time, which is kind of ironic because nobody seems to have time because we're constantly busy. But uh, things like this are really valuable in terms of just the networking, the getting to understand where people are coming from. And then just generally, how do we help people better uh, approach this particular industry. So how did you get here? What, what brought you into the blockchain space? You know, it's funny, Jason, in the earlier days I was asked, did you go seek Bitcoin or did Bitcoin find you? And uh, Bitcoin really found me through working at Fidelity. So um, I actually have a very different background in terms of getting into this space, but also maybe a couple similarities and I guess I'll just maybe give you the quick background story and then connect it back to the Fidelity story. So my background is in political science from Columbia University, and then I went and pursued my MBA at Duke. So I don't actually have that computer science degree behind me, and um, I didn't work as a trader, but I did have some really great experiences and work prior to coming to Fidelity. So I've that was, I came to Fidelity in 2014. So before 2014, I worked at Tiffany and Companies. I worked at American Express, IBM, and Duke. And they're very different companies and institutions in very different roles. But they all had a similarity that helped me in my jobs and day-to-day today. And that's, uh, they each had a very strong focus on the customer. There was always a need to promote education awareness. It was um roles working in creating opportunities in new and emerging spaces. And then there was a definite connection to finances and financial wellness, as well as 
a big focus on what technology and capabilities can we use in these areas. So very different industries, but some common core capabilities and connections. So that when I did come to Fidelity and I started nine years ago in our Fidelity Labs and also Fidelity Center for Applied Technology or FCAT. And in that role, I was in product management. And I remember um, being asked, Sterling, how much do you know about Bitcoin? And I said, I don't really know that much about Bitcoin. And they said, no problem. Here is a great book, Bitcoin for the Befuddled. And it's this purple book with a dinosaur on it. And I was like, awesome. I will take this and I will start learning about Bitcoin and algorithms and encryption and cryptography. And uh, that was kind of my start. There wasn't a lot of information on the web. There weren't podcasts. You know, today, the biggest problem is what channel do you go to and how do you want to absorb your information from the day-to-day news that you might hear to these really incredible white papers and thesis or a podcast that runs on a regular occurrence. And so you have a lot of choice and opportunity, but it also makes it pretty intimidating for someone to say, where do I start or where do I jump in? But my start um, was really because we do work at a company that focuses on innovation and gave me that opportunity to start diving in. And then I can tell you a little bit more about the crypto path. I, I just have to say, um, you're one of the lucky few where Bitcoin found you as yes. opposed to the other way around. So you basically were getting compensated to come out and learn about this and got to be your day job. So um, that that's actually a very special and, and fortunate scenario. Uh, made me wonder, Jack, I, I should know this, but you got pulled in. Were you uh, looking at this prior to joining Fidelity? Yeah. Yeah. And then I came into Fidelity in more of a traditional role and my whole kind of shtick was I just didn't stop talking about it. Um, and so eventually some of the people in the area I was working in connected me with some of the people in Fidelity Digital. Um, and and that's sort of how it happened. I do think it's interesting, Sterling, you said like political science major. I was a finance major. And like you do tend to see a lot of finance or computer science majors, but also like one of those things I have in common like with you there is maybe I do come from more of a finance background and Jason himself too. But like, I don't think any three of us on this call can go look at a line of Uniswap code and audit it. But that doesn't mean that we can't be here to like help grow and scale and educate across this industry. Even like I'm, I'm in research and I can't go and audit the code. Uh, but that doesn't mean that like people can't be involved and like learn a ton and uh, push this industry forward. Um, just because they're not a developer. I agree. I actually love watching the developers and they'll share their code. And you're right. I don't understand all of it, but you can understand just enough to see where they're getting to the different aspects. And it makes it fascinating. And I love that piece where, yes, we don't read the language, but we understand just enough to help them. And it's one one of the coolest parts of this industry is like it is at the intersection of so many different arts and studies and sciences, right? There is the the real tactical lines of code in computer science. There's also the the finance and the economic game theory involved in these systems and their you know their successes or their failures, which we saw over the past year. There's the political and regulatory angle. Like there is a an intersection of all of these different things that impact society. And as we move forward. You know, that's that's where we're going to see these these things collide. I think that's where I feel very fortunate here at Fidelity is that each one of these different roles helps me understand all those different intricacies because there are so many 
different, the regulatory space, there's the code, but then there's the business use case and then being compliant. It's a lot, but it's actually an incredible opportunity for career and career growth. It, it really is. And I was just going to laugh because Jack, I will say my background is finance. Yes, I've worked in it for a long time. My undergrad degree was English. So <laughs> I wound up going a very different path. Uh, but certainly coming back to the path that got you here, I decided to do a little bit of investigative work before we got on this call. And I, you and I had spoken a number of times over the years, and I think we probably met in person for the first time a couple of years ago. But when I was doing some of my homework, I realized that while you were at Columbia, uh, you played Division One sports, you were a field hockey player. Yeah. But I also uh, found something that might be even more interesting. So studying pol political science, you've got a, I'm going to assume you may have a bit of a competitive drive, uh, having... <laughs> committed to that type of activity but you're also a, a patty certified scuba diver so yeah. i wonder with that background um you know does diving deep into crypto mean something different to you absolutely i actually got my dive master when i was oh maybe 18 pretty young <laughs> um but i loved i and i still do love scuba diving and i think Diving deep is probably maybe the theme of the education and kind of uh, getting into these binge modes of something that you you learn about that's new and getting really fascinated by it. And so I I love diving. And, you know, the other odd thing in my background is that I studied diamonds and gemstones because I worked at Tiffany's. So you would, you know, that getting certified in that area to, to grade diamonds. The thing is, in all of these different roles, the education makes it for a much more enjoyable ride in these different careers. And here, we're we're getting to help people understand something that might seem complex and and scary. But when you start learning about it, it is an incredible history. Knowing that this, you know, encryption didn't start with all of this, and the capabilities and the the ways that people can enable access and transparency just make it fascinating. So it's really fun to pull all the pieces and to dive deep. But yes, I do love getting engrossed in some of these fun topics. And now that it's this Web3 area and it's opened up to so many more opportunities, I think I'm on this constant steep learning curve, but I'm enjoying it. And I get to leverage, you know, in the beginning, Jason, you said communities, you are all part of my community. Uh, Jack was has been so helpful when we go and and for me to learn myself. And then as we go and speak to our clients and customers about what the space is, Jack's teaching me and them at the same time. So I love that as well. So so Sterling, uh, maybe you get to uh, the the customers or the end clients that you're interfacing with, right? And they're they're uh, you know a unique set of individuals who who are they and where do you fit into the picture of like more broadly the the crypto space and who's interacting with the crypto space or who are you trying to help potentially interact with so in my role today what i i skipped over a little bit in my role today i have the great opportunity to help educate our clients and customers because we did bring forward bitcoin in 401k plans last year and in that we were helping to educate the plan sponsors, but also helping to educate and advisors, consultants. It was helping our own teams, you know, learn about this space. So a lot of associate education has been really 
part of how we're bringing forward this because we had to work with our legal risks, compliance, um, marketing teams. It's just an incredible group that might not have been exposed to this space before. And now we get to say, here's how we can help everyone understand. And then also for our, our teams, our developers, they're starting to upskill in a lot of different areas and spaces as they work in this technology. So I, you know, I have three different areas under me and two of them are in digital asset and blockchain. Then the second is exploring opportunities in the blockchain space and how that can help um, the business overall. And so those developers are learning about smart contracts and they're learning all, you know, how to kind of bring forward their technical capabilities but in new different spaces. And then the other part is really the continued support on how we help um, our regulators understand some of the space and be partners in that because they are on the same journey as well. And so as we bring forward opportunities, um, there's the continued dialogue where Fidelity has great partnerships to you know, help bring that information forward and to help them think about the policies that they're working on. We talk a lot about uh, different regulatory regimes around the world and the podcast and how there are differences. So um, I think no matter where you are, it's incredibly important, as you called out, to help with that educational process and um, to um, make sure that people are principled as opposed to positioned in trying to look at things objectively. And the fact, like you said, there are so many different uh, tangential relationships that come into play. You know, Jack highlighted the macroeconomic, the game theory, the finance, the cybersecurity. And I wanted to sort of circle back because I think one thing we maybe didn't touch on is the fact that along your career mobility within Fidelity, you also played a role in cybersecurity. And I'm assuming that actually also helped position you well for what you're doing now. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing that back because um, after labs and being in product, I, I made a big jump into cybersecurity, but it was a jump into cybersecurity and helping our Fidelity Digital Asset business as their information security officer. So in cybersecurity, and that's where I had the great opportunity to help FDAS certify with the New York Department of Financial Services, their cybersecurity. Um, and that experience, I would say, was educational for NYDFS. It was educational for us. And it worked out really, really well because you really broke down the ecosystem, but also down to the levels of different controls. And it helps you think about now for me and product as we build things, what are those different considerations and how do we bring things forward in a regulated environment, bring things forward responsibly because at the core of everything we do is that protection and the security for our clients and our customers. And being able to break down the myths that come forward in our space where the hacks happened or where fraud is happening and where humans often bring forward the backdoor openings that lead to fraud or bad behavior is something that we could bring some clear examples to in my time in, in cybersecurity. So, you know, I, I dove deep in, in cyber and learned a lot in that space, specifically for digital assets and our FDAS business. And then I got to scale that a little bit with our workplace and healthcare businesses and that gives you that perspective of an emerging space versus um, a space that is more mature. 
and some of the different nuances when you're bringing forward um, digital assets and how you have to think of not only the operational and the physical security controls, but also really the cyber controls in a different way. That's awesome. And I, just for folks who may not be familiar with the acronym, when we say FDAS, we're talking about Fidelity Digital Assets, which is uh, the business that that Jack is part of. And it's kind of funny when you think about the uh, genealogy, that business grew out of the blockchain incubator, which is part of Fidelity Center for Applied Technology. So it's a, it's a very interesting way that that talent um it grows and, and moves around the firm it's just a testament to the fact that the firm is uh, a very innovative place and encourages that growth and the uh, dissemination of talent across the board in 2014 when i was talking about the bitcoin ask that was when i brought forward bitcoin contributions in 2015 to fidelity charitable's donor advice fund so my ask was Sterling, learn about Bitcoin, but figure out a, a ways to connect this in a charitable way. And then my peer was asked, understand the technology behind how it works. What does mining mean? Right. And then my other peer was asked, well, how are people kind of holding these in the wallets? And that grew into who needs it the most in the institutions and that custody holding the coin for the institutions, which became FDAS. So um, it was fun to be a part of that early group in different ways and they continued and grew. And then I worked in this space and did the contributions for Fidelity Charitable, but then I did some other product work, you know, student debt or bringing um, associate mobility from the phones into technology careers, right? It did some other product stuff or go to market and labs. And those all kind of fed into that coming into the space, coming out. And then when I came back in and started learning again, as the ISO for FDAS, so much had changed. And it was amazing to see how much growth had happened across Fidelity, across the industry, and how many more resources and opportunities there were for people. I thought it was interesting, you know, and you're describing being involved in cybersecurity for the digital assets initiatives, and then being in touch with regulators and sort of working alongside a consortium of, uh, you know, public regulators and you know, private sector uh, you know, businesses building. And just think about this industry as it evolves. There's sort of this, uh, this struggle of like, it's a new asset class. These are bearer instruments. You have to balance all of the legal risk compliance, uh, safety and security of assets alongside the fact that it's really exciting and we want to do all of these really cool things. And Internally, we all kind of have to deal with that balancing act of always putting forward, making sure we're putting forward the like safety compliance and things that like aren't the uh, flashy side of like putting out new products, but like are ultra important and are highlighted in years like 2022 when rehypothecation of assets in the digital asset space was problematic, when uh, fraud and, and other issues came up last year, like all of those issues are are resolved through the things that maybe are, are thought of as like boring and operational and the risk and compliance and risk management frameworks, but they're like ultra important in an emerging industry, especially when we think about like, we wanna build a, a business, anyone wants to build a business that exists 10 years from now that is built on a solid foundation. And like those pieces are so important, especially in an emerging industry. Absolutely. And I think that's what I really respect and value and am incredibly grateful for here at Fidelity that we have access to 
experts who can help us get that language right or consider all of the different implications because we have such a strong legal risk compliance team. They are working so hard to help us and enable us to bring these new service offerings forward in that right, responsible way. So I, it is a lot to consider, but it's we're pretty fortunate here to have so many good partners to be able to work with through that. Definitely. So one portion of things that we and others are working on is like enabling people to get ownership in the actual traded publicly traded tokens, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum are you know the biggest ones that come to mind. Uh, there's the other piece, which is like, what can the technology do that maybe is more operational and maybe less of like a, a tangible investment for the public to put in their investment portfolio, but might have like real value in the long term for businesses from an operational perspective. And it sounds like that's maybe the area, the second area that you're involved in, would love to like kind of dig into that a little bit and, and what you're looking at there. Because it seems like that's a longer term vision that takes a lot of coordination and a lot of time versus, you know, not that it's easy, but just enabling people to be able to invest in the asset class. That's sort of separate. They're two separate themes in my mind. I do think that we tend to forget about the technology components behind the blockchain that is underpinning Yes, the digital asset and the trading and, and the investment pieces and the investment in our businesses comes in when we start looking at the technology and the infrastructures of what we have today and how can that be a part of and leverage these emerging technologies so that interoperability between legacy systems and emerging technologies. And then it gets into, okay, how do we take advantage of something that does bring forward efficiencies and how we can transact and brings us into more of a real-time uh, data access and control and secure transparency feature sets that we seek so much in, in how we create and deliver our services and our products. So the blockchain piece is really fun because it's taking a look at how we can integrate and bring forward um, the capabilities that come from our core systems that are incredible, but enable them to be servicing and accessing accessible to people leveraging the blockchain while still keeping that very strong focus on the security and the privacy that of working with client and customer sensitive data, right? So um, what we're looking at a lot is understanding how you can build platforms that lead you to the capabilities that connect us into this Web3 world. And if that's um, for us, a lot of times starting with permission chains and understanding how we can work in a very controlled environment, building that um, skill sets, capabilities and knowledge and seeing how it can help how we deliver our products and services today and then meet the needs of our clients and customers today and tomorrow and how that can evolve and can connect when desired with the um, permissionless chains and, and give more access and capabilities. Yeah, it's interesting because when I joined the blockchain incubator, I spent a lot of time looking at some of those similar types of applications. And it is interesting that uh, sometimes that becomes a polarizing discussion. And the reality is, I think it really depends on the perspective of the the person or the entity that's trying to do that evaluation. So uh, my personal point of view is that 
Um, just like there are different tools for different jobs in any other industry, I think you can apply the same logic uh, within the blockchain and digital ledger technology space. So um, I always was poised the question, why not just use a distributed database? It's, it's a tough question to answer at times because um, there's, I think sometimes there's a reason to say, uh, yes, I should accept the common technology. And then there's reasons to say, well, I don't yet know what else I could get by applying this technology. And am I embedding an option that uh, doesn't necessarily need to be exercised, but could be exercised if I've chosen the path less traveled? Uh, and that's, I think, why we've seen so many, um, so many hot debates about it over the years, because it takes a long time. It does. And I also think we're getting into a new world where the, I, I would say, the tools and um, capabilities are advancing to help reduce that time for some people. And so you also you have to think about, one, what are we trying to accomplish in what group and who really needs access to this? Because if it's a B2B model, that um, private chain, and if you have a consortium, that could be the sweet spot and, and the perfect need for what you're trying to accomplish. But once you get into that B2C and you're going to want to open it up even more, yes, permissionless is going to be something that needs to be there and that accessibility for everybody. And so it's thinking about how it doesn't have to be an either or it's what is the problem you're looking at and where's the growth and opportunity and where's there something that you could go from B2B to B2B2C later and then combine I, I think that's a great way to look at it because if you, in, in some ways, I almost feel like it's uh, what generation are you in the blockchain ecosystem? So if you're Gen 1, it's Bitcoin and you know what everything else is called. If it's, you know, Gen 2, you're like, okay, I got introduced around the time that Ethereum was coming forward. Oh, wow, the DAO hack, that was bad. So Ethereum, maybe it's good, maybe it's not, but it's not as secure. Why do we shift to proof of stake? When you zoom back out again, some of the evolution that really, I think, drew a lot of attention from industry and started opening up the possibilities was this idea of composability in programmatic tokenization. And we're starting to see more and more of that now. And, and as you were pointing out, sometimes the sweet spot is depending upon the users. And as you see these different regulatory environments evolving, um, in some cases, you see uh, a push towards that permission space. In other cases, you see uh, welcomed experimentation with public. And in the end, it's likely to be something of a hybrid. You know, I wouldn't pretend to be able to, to guess, but oftentimes I hear comparisons to intranet and internet. And it's kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. Everybody gets it. Nobody ever talks about intranet at this point. You just talk about it, my company website or my internal system. Jason, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was, I was just going to say <laughs> i didn't i didn't live through it but i hear the stories of at the time thanks jack you're making me feel old. i was just thinking i feel old because i helped create that. <laughs> i didn't want to 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 say that uh and, and say jason did you live through that moment or jack, not i remember but, we didn't have laptops we didn't even have our own pcs we had these green screen ibm machines it's okay it's part of my journey <laughs> <laughs> but but that's like at the time you had closed source systems and you had the open source system and I think a lot of people believed that the the closed source system was going to be the model that would work moving forward and instead it was like this open source interoperable system that everybody just built technology on top of and then network effects you know were were created around it and like just 
I mean, I don't know where this ends up going in the future of permissioned versus permissionless blockchains and, and whether or not they're you know relatively interoperable with one another or how this all converges. But I can't help but look at the internet as the example of maybe there's a transition period, um, but open source tending to kind of end up making sense in the long run just because anyone can build on it permissionlessly and anyone can access it. And it's it's tested by the public. You know, that's one of those beautiful things. It's almost like, you know, when you're doing things in a permission space, you've got a lot of energy and effort and, and quite honestly, capital that goes into the security testing. And if you are building in that open sourced environment, you sort of get that for free. Many of my earliest uh, parts of my community in the blockchain digital asset space emphasized so strongly the importance of that open source community, that open source battle testing, uh, which I think is great. And I think you'll see more and more of that um, type of mentality coming across the lines to both permissioned and permissionless. I, I think it's it comes at times in the way of just opportunities for different types of white hat hackers. Jack, you, you made me laugh. You made me yeah, laugh. That was definitely <laughs> flash. But I do think to what you're saying, Jack, there's and and Jason, there's a lot between the two that that can work together, and there's a lot that'll probably not need to work together. So it, it's it's not a either or. It's a lot of end and building upon it. And even in the permissioned chain world, you're using code that was open source code and then customizing, right? So there's there's still a lot of sharing and opportunity there too. And I think that continued balance and then how they start to connect in, in more and more in a better ways is going to be a really interesting way for us to look at how it changes the way we do things. Definitely. The, the, the thing too is like, if it's already, like if it's a tokenized ownership claim on like a physical asset, it then at the end of the day doesn't necessarily matter what if the blockchain rails are permissioned or not because you still need like a judge uh to enforce the fact that like the ownership of that token equals the actual real world ownership rights of that equity or that physical whatever building that's where it's almost like it, it doesn't matter once you start tokenizing real assets and if they're not inherently digital then if they're on open source chains or closed source chains it's more kind of starts to become semantics at some point other than like the whole interoperability and living in one ecosystem and jack the one thing i would add to that is because i try to explain this I, i've had the opportunity to talk to uh, people in different countries and parts of different panels and things i know sterling you do a lot of this type of stuff too uh, i was in ireland back in march and we were talking about this and somebody asked the question along the lines of well if i have my digital token and someone steals it, did I lose my asset if it's a railroad asset? And I'm like, not really. It really depends on the property rights of a given region. And although the technology is consistent across the globe, how laws are applied will depend upon where you are in the world. And that, to your point too, that's another consideration is like irreversibility of transactions. You can certainly uh, embed that into a permissioned chain of some type, right? If there's a whether it be a, a singular entity that's controlling that chain or like a consensus, a federated consensus of entities that control that chain, you can reverse a transaction on a permission chain over whatever the your ownership rights are of some tokenized asset, but you can't do that on a public blockchain necessarily. Immutability or tamper evidence is very different between the two models. 
Sterling, I want to ask you two more questions before we drop out. So maybe I'll drop them both um, at the same time. And um, maybe well, the first one is, um, as you look towards the future, uh, what are you most excited about? And then the second one, um, which may be a little bit maybe of a longer answer is, as you've been uh, a professional in this space driving, how have you seen the communities evolve? And um, do you find the communities to be welcoming? And you know, if someone was brand new coming into the space, how would you encourage them to, to sort of gain a foothold and start trying to, uh, to, to advance along their journey? Jason, I'm gonna knock both of those out in the same way, because I think what I am most excited about is the communities that have grown and the opportunity for everyone to have some sort of engagement or participation in this where they might not have felt that was possible before. And that could be as a direct user, or it could be as someone who's working in this and creating that ecosystem. Uh, because they have that community and support, it is so much easier to get into your own personal journey in this space. I know you had Maggie Love on before, but one thing that I really like that she has said is it's education, it's experimentation, and it's community. And I've been able to grow and thrive in this because I've found different communities, whether it is my experts in research like Jack or someone like you, Jason, in the, from the business side and helping bring things forward. But it's also this group of women that are starting to come together that are supporting and they are the doers, they are the teachers, they are the enablers. And so I feel like it makes it easier for someone who is considering this as a way to improve their financial selves and their lives, or if it's a career path, there's never a better time to start your journey than now because you have at your fingertips the ability to jump in with reading, but then really quickly get into experimenting and finding different communities for yourself where you can share resources because this is an rapidly evolving space. And the resource I recommend today might be out of date tomorrow because there's so many new things. But if you have that community, you'll stay afloat and you'll grow with that community. So it's really important for everyone to remember, we're all on this big learning journey together, regardless of when you started it. And so it's okay for you to jump on now. And there will always be someone ahead of you and always someone behind you. But And you can learn so much from both sides of that journey. I, I love the way you say that. I, I talk often about uh, being part of the community. Uh, when we try to keep pace, we burn ourselves out and we, we, <laughs> we burn out and regenerate over and over and over again. And it's those communities that help us through that cycle. So that was a great answer. Well, Sterling, it's been great having you as a guest on the, on the Crypto Brief. Uh, we certainly encourage people who are listening, if you have ideas or topics that you'd like us to, to cover, uh, please feel free to, to reach out and, and let us know. But uh, this is a great example of highlighting other parts of Fidelity that are in this space and, and people who are dedicating their time and energy to help promote advancement of the both the education and the availability of, of new technology. So, Sterling, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. You are both so much fun to have these discussions with. So I look forward to more discussions. Thanks, Sterling. Crypto as an asset class is highly volatile, can become illiquid at any time, and is for investors with a high risk tolerance. Crypto may also be more susceptible to market manipulation than securities. Crypto is not insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation 
or the Securities Investor Protection Corporation. Investors in crypto do not benefit from the same regulatory protections applicable to registered securities. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast was produced by the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology, also known as FCAT. FCAT does not offer digital assets nor provide clearing or custody of such assets. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide tax, legal, insurance, or investment advice and should not be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation for any security or other asset by any Fidelity entity or third party. Views expressed are as of the date indicated, based on the information available at the time, and may change based on market or other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. Fidelity and any other third parties mentioned in the podcast are independent entities and are not affiliated. Mentioning them does not suggest a recommendation or endorsement by Fidelity. This information is not intended for distribution to or use by any person or entity in any jurisdiction or country where such distribution would or use would be contrary to local law or regulation. Persons accessing this information are required to inform themselves about and observe such restrictions. Third-party trademarks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. All others are the property of FMR LLC. Copyright 2023 FMR LLC. All rights reserved. One zero four zero one five six.